I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello and welcome to All Things Policy. This is a pretty special episode for us because of a couple of reasons. Firstly, Pratik and I are recording this in the middle of GCPP Tech and Policy Workshop while our students are working on a project around semiconductors. So uh, in case you're interested to know more about the program, we'll put a link in the show notes. Applications are now open. I highly recommend that you uh, check it out. And secondly, because this is actually one of those episodes where we get to talk about legislation in tech that is not exactly groundbreaking, but just extremely interesting to look at. I am, of course, talking about the Filter Bubble Transparency Act that was introduced in the US. It's the, the act is still a bill and it's, it's got a very simple purpose. The idea is that it requires internet platform give the users the option to engage with the platform without being manipulated by algorithms driven by user-specific data. Now, this sort of changes the nature of feeds, news feed and other content feeds. And it's fairly interesting because it applies to just a bunch of companies. Right. So I think before we get into looking at the bill itself, let's sort of put this into context with some academic studies. Of course, I have just a person here to to do that with. Uh, Pratik, welcome to the podcast. Could you please take us through this? Hey, thanks, Lord. Yeah, so there have been a couple of interesting studies uh, on this front, right? So let me start Twitter and then we'll move on to uh, to Facebook. So in October, Twitter had put out a study looking at the amplification of political content on its uh, home timeline versus the reverse chronological timeline, you know, what we know as latest tweet. This is something that they had announced, uh, I think, back in May when they said that they will be looking at various aspects of their machine learning decision making and how it affects, how it has broader effect insight. So I think uh, this was one of the projects that they had called out and they finally put out the report sometime in October. And uh, I don't think we heard a lot about it. There was some coverage, but I think, you know, with everything that was going on re- regarding the Facebook papers or Facebook files or no, let's just call them Facebook document. This uh, a study coming out from Twitter saying that, you know, th- that they found that the home timeline was, or, you know, or the home ranking system was uh, amplifying right-leaning content more. Uh, it's pretty significant, right? And, and it doesn't seem like it caught the type of, it, it, it got a lot of attention on, on that front. Right. So I said that, let's just run through some, some numbers and what the study actually was first. So they, I think they, they covered about 9.3 million uh, daily users, uh, monetizable daily active users, as they called it. And about, I think, 80% of these, uh, they ran through the algorithmic timeline, what we call, you know, what we call that algorithmic timeline or the home timeline, basically, which was the treatment group as such. And about 20% with looked at your, you know, your standard latest tweets or the, the reverse chronological feed, which is the control, the control group. They ran this from April to August, uh, 2021 and in seven countries, right? So they did this for the US, UK, uh, Japan, France, Germany, Spain, and Canada. I think it, it's worth noting that I think they initially started off just with US and UK and somewhere along the way, they got feedback that uh, they should expand the pool of countries so that because Twitter is a global platform. So, so, you know, so they did seven countries, you know, yes, it it would have been interesting to have India in there to see what the results look like, but at least for now, for now we don't. And what they tried to do was looking at 
these users, they tried to measure the amplification of, you know, political content on home timeline versus the reverse chronological chronological one. And they did this in two parts and we, we, I, I come to what, uh, what the results were for each, but one was for uh, politicians across all seven countries and the second bit of it was for uh, me- media publication and this this aspect was related to the, was uh, restricted to the US. Couple of limitations I think worth noting is that, look, even in this scenario where they had this 20% control group uh, of people who just were in, or accounts, not three people, uh, who just had the reverse chronological timelines, they, you know, they, it did exist in a vacuum, right? They, there were going to be effects from other users who were also, who were using the, the algorithmic or the home timeline, right? So there was always going to be, there's always going to be that aspect. And I think they've, uh, they, they've called that out, uh, saying that this is the potential limitation. And the other being that over time, it's the same thing, introduced the, the algorithmic timeline, I think four or five years ago, uh, they have been using the differences between what, you know, what happens with the, this control group that, that, that they maintain and the, and, and the regular home timeline. Uh, and they've been using that to make improvements in, in their features, right? So it, over time that it, it got tweaked uh, as well. So I think those are two things to keep in mind. Uh, now, you know, let's go to the, the bit about politicians first. And it, it especially interesting because, you know, as I sort of indicated earlier that there did seem to be a bias towards amplifying right-leaning content. So, you know, so in those uh, seven countries, I think they did this for approximately 3,600 legislators. And in six out of seven, so all except Germany, in aggregate, right, at this point is important, in aggregate, parties on the uh, right were amplified most, were amplified a little more than uh, parties on the left. And I think specifically in, in, in UK and Canada, this was, this was the highest. Well, this is notable because in both those countries right now, uh, the you know, the conservative party is in power, right? Which is which is right leaning. So the prime minister, cabinet ministers, etc., significant public officials also make that list. So they also excluded those, right? And then and basically found that the the, the net results didn't really change change significantly, right? So irrespective of whether it 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 didn't change uh, that much. Now, at an individual level, it, it's interesting because while for some politicians, I think they saw amplification up to 400%, uh, also, there were also cases where it was less than zero, right? Which means that you were less likely to see content from those politicians across uh, on your on, on the home feed or the algorithmic feed versus if you were just looking at the reverse chronological feed, right? And at an individual level, there did not seem to be a significant difference between, you know, whether the party was in, was in power uh, or not. The other interesting thing to note was that what they observed was that amplification of, I think, parties that, that, uh, that you'd probably identify as far left or far right was lower than the more mainstream one. And this is a little counterintuitive given a lot of the discourse that, you know, those parties tend to get amplified more. The only counterpoint I, I can maybe add here and something I think worth considering or food for thought is I think we also have to consider the fact that look, even the more mainstream parties are adopting points from the parties that are, you know, more more far left or far, or far right, right? Uh, leaning towards the other extremes of the So I, I think we, have, we need to take that into account. But nevertheless, I think this is an interesting observation that, you know, the, the far left and the far right one seem to have, you know, seem to see lower levels of amplification than, than the more uh, mainstream ones. The other interesting thing was that The Economist also did, I think, an article on this and they used Twitter's data to see that, you know, to go back to the overall aggregate ap- amplification of the, of the right versus the left, right? And they looked at the data and put it into a slightly different model, which also accounted for vote shares in recent elections. And in that case, again, they found that uh, no, the, it still favored right-leaning, right-leaning parties. 
very quickly, I'll just talk about the, the media part of it uh, as well. Now, in, in that, like I said, it was restricted to, to the US and they relied on two types of classification, right? One by, I, I, I think it's pronounced ad fonts and the other by, by all sites, which essentially classify various publications, you know, based on leaning right from, you know, from right, left, uh, right, neutral. And here they found that, you know, partisan sources were amplified more and those on the partisan right were amplified a little bit more than those on the, those on the left. Again, I, I, I referenced the Economist article earlier that incidentally also looked at, you know, accuracy ratings and they claim, uh, they claim based on their analysis that the ones that were rated less accurate received a little bit more, more amplification than the ones rated more, more accurate. Right. Just just another important point to note is that there is a difference between the way ad fonts and all site classify a, a lot of publications. They especially, I think, I think there, there's general agreement on what on, on you know on the the right side of the spectrum, but on the left, I think there is a little bit of uh, a difference in the in the way they do it. In the sense that uh, I think uh, so, just take an example, right? So I think ad fonts classifies New York Times opinion and New York Post while all sides classified them as, as left and right, right? So there is a tendency for ad fonts to classify more, especially the ones on the, especially, you know, more left-leaning publications uh, as neutral. Right. I think that's incredibly interesting. And I do have questions that I'd like to sort of ask and also then move on to talk about the bill. But before we do that, let's take a quick commercial break. Hi. Welcome back to All Things Policy. I'm here with Pratik and we are going into some fascinating academic research about, about filter bubbles and about how content is shared and people engage with. So are there any other studies that we should be aware of before we talk about the bill itself? Yeah, so there's at least one more that I, that, that came out recently. Right? And this was, this was a paper by Jack Bandy and Nicholas Diakopoulos. And they did something similar in the sense that they compared the you know, the, you know, the, the reverse chronological and al- algorithmic feeds uh, to just get a sense of what type of content is amplified. Now, this was not restricted to just political content as as Twitter's was, and of course, you know, being being external researchers, not having to not having access to the same amount of data, they had to go about it in, in a slightly different way. So, what what they effectively did was that I think they they followed a whole bunch of you know political accounts on on the left, grouped sorry in the in the US, uh, grouped users created profile, and then. Essentially created, I think, if I remember correctly, it was about eight accounts, four left-leaning, four right-leaning, right? These were dummy accounts that just had different, you know, that had, that had different, that followed different types of accounts, right? They just mapped it according to uh, some existing users. And they, I think they sampled it about 50 tweets from their, from their timeline about twice a day, right? Uh, again, this is due to limitations of the amount of data they could collect, etc. And I think they also found out that between at least for the factors they were looking at between, you know, between looking at 50 tweets and a larger number of tweets, there wasn't a significant difference. A uh, point to note is that none of these accounts actually clicked on the links. So that's a potential limitation in the sense that, you know, it, it, assuming that's a, that's a signal that goes into the the, the, the recommendation, right, of, of the home algorithm, that, that is something that was probably not captured, right? And they found a couple of interesting things as, as well in the sense that uh, a the home feed actually showed fewer external links, right? So there was, you know, if, if, if you're listening for better ways to get engagement on Twitter, maybe there's some, there's some hints in here. But essentially that I think you know, more than half of the tweets, I think in the chronological timeline contained an external link, but about just about 20% on algorithmic timeline contained an external link. The number of suggested tweets made up more than half of the algorithmic timeline. 
interestingly, there was more source diversity in the in the algorithmic timeline from the now diversity in the sense just meant to more accounts, not necessarily political leaning or anything of of, of the sort. And they also noticed a shift in topics. So they, so they classified them as you know political and economic information, and I think specifically for for COVID, there was information around uh, around fatalities, and I think they they noticed that except for Polit the you know the the bucket that they classified as political across all the others there was a there was actually reduced exposure on the algorithmic timeline right so just just a final point I think on this was was interesting in the sense that they noticed a and they put this in quotes right a slight partisan echo chamber effect notably it was not to say it was, it was not from the perspective of whether the algorithm itself was making the decision unlike the Twitter study which was looking at you know was looking at from that perspective. This was lo- rather looking at you know what happened for you know in terms of exposure to partisan accounts, right? That these that these eight test accounts that they had set up that they were following based on the home versus the or the yeah, algorithmic versus the chronological feed. And I think there they found that in both cases the the number of uh, bipartisan account you know that if if you could classify them as you know I think uh, the the classification they they used was. Whether they were left, niche left, bipartisan, niche right, and you know right, what they noticed was that in in both cases the the exposure to bipartisan accounts reduced. Right? So that's that's certainly interesting. And of course, you know we we can't not address the the Facebook Facebook documents, Facebook files, Facebook papers. So because one of the studies there, one of the documents there referred I, I, to a twenty eighteen study where I think Facebook. Uh, a researcher on Facebook uh, essentially disabled the newsfeed algorithm for somewhere at about 0.05% of, of Facebook users, right? And what they found was that uh, people spent more time scrolling, which short term meant more more ad impressions, more revenue. But overall, it led to, you know, overall led to lower engagement because it was just that people were, you know, were scrolling, they were disliking content, removing it from their feeds, you know, hiding posts, etc. Right? So it, it essentially just resulted, resulted in... Uh, no, in, initially, uh, I think more ad revenue, but overall reduced engagement, right? So uh, it, it's not as straightforward as, you know, one is necessarily better than the other. I think there are important aspects to consider with both. Right. That's quite fascinating. The one thing I did not think I would hear on this podcast today was tips to improve my Twitter game, but I'm quite glad that we went there. But let's sort of take a moment and now talk about the bill itself, which I think is um, is an interesting piece of legislation. Because my takeaway from this, and I read this yesterday, was that generally, if you're a company of a certain size with a certain amount of revenue, you're not allowed to... Now, the one thing you need to do is to have more transparent algorithms, as in... Now, let me rephrase that. Is to provide the users the option to go with the, with the feed that's not algorithmically altered based on personal data that they, that's been collected on you. And I'm not entirely sure that this is... I mean, the objective of this is not very clear to me and Prithi, maybe you can help me here. And I don't even know if it's going to be effective. The reason I say this is because um, I am a frequent user of Reddit and Reddit gives you the option to sort of switch between feeds. It gives you the option to go with the most popular stuff or it gives you the option to go with with stuff that you, with the subreddits that you follow. And I often switch between the two and maybe on Twitter, I recall that there is an option to change your feed to latest or to keep it to the hottest content that's out there and of course like I don't know how many people change between them but broadly I haven't seen this to be a very effective way I mean the choice architecture is such that people don't generally 
uh, go with the chronological feed because there is not a lot of value, I would say, in, in going there. So, but do you think differently or what do you think the objective of this bill is, Pratik? And do you think this is a good way to get there? Yeah, so I, I, I yeah. So, I mean, look, there's, with, with any of these bills right now, there is always going to be an element of political theater, right? I think, and we've discussed that, especially in the US right now. So, but let's set that aside. I, so, I don't think the bill mentions reverse chronological itself, but I think they, they refer to two types of algorithms, right? One being an input transparent algorithm where I think the ranking system is allowed to use uh, information that is that you know that users explicitly provide for ranking, right? Which, as per the bin, includes things like search terms, filters, save preferences that users may have put in, you know, their current geogra- geographical location, and information about you know their current you know a user's follows or subscription that they currently have, right? And it cannot be based on inferences of you know where or or based on their historical activity, historical locations, you know general device interaction than financial transactions. I think they make an exception for age-appropriate content. So this is this is the input algorithm and the opaque algorithm is, of course, where uh, you are relying on, on information for, from users, right? Now, it, interestingly, I think we also have to look at applicability, right, of, of this because I think it, it says that it would apply to companies with more than 500 employees and I think a greater average annual revenue of $50 million or more in the past Three years and one million users, right? So it it's not necessarily affecting everyone or the entire internet, but it's still affecting a significant chunk of the internet that is not Facebook, right? And I think that's that's important to keep in mind here because a, a lot of these uh, laws, tum, tum, it seems like they're written with Facebook in mind, but they apply to uh, broader sections of the internet. So you know, so so Shoshana Wodinsky had an interesting article in Gizmodo where she talks about look, this is going to this this means that Spotify will now have to have a version where you know it can't recommend artists based on who's having concerts in your area etc right or netflix cannot use your can, cannot use all types of information it, it it's going to be a lot more restricted in, in the term in the way that it makes recommendations in one version of it right again i think to be fair it doesn't say that you can't do any sort of ranking it says you have to have uh, a version right of the service that uses the input transparent algorithm and users can can switch between them i think that is certainly better than a scenario where they just try to mandate like you can't use any sort of any sort of algorithm, right? I think that's that's something to keep in mind. But yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see in the sense of uh, you know what the broader ap- applicability of this of this means because this is not just going to apply to to the likes of you know Facebook, Twitter, right, TikTok, for example. Uh, I I don't think again it it, it doesn't even have a reverse chronological feed option, right? A, a bunch of others. I think Instagram no longer uh, no longer does, right? So, and there was, there was an interesting post a couple of years ago. This was back in 2018 by Benedict Evans, right? And in, in that, he estimates that, look, in an average Facebook user is likely to receive about 1,500 updates in their feed in a day, right? And so, so if you look at that, right, that's way too much content for anyone to, to comb through, right? So you're, you're likely just going to just look at random content based on people you, uh, you know, made connections with over the last X years. Probably on, the only variable factor is based on what time of day you, you, you look at, right? Whether you look at it at five in the evening or 10 in the morning, right? That, that's the only uh, factor that's changing. And, you know, is, is that necessarily... Now, you know, what, what kind of experience is it creating, et cetera? I think th- th- that remains unknown. And, and like you said, right, there, there are there are some of these options already. It, it, it's interesting that it come, that they want to mandate it, but some of these options exist and I don't know how many people use it. So to, to be honest, I tend to use latest tweets on, on Twitter more than I use the home timeline. But, you know, I, I don't think most people, uh, most people use it, use it that way, right? Like, like, I think like you, they tend to favor 
uh, on Reddit, the hottest tab or uh, the home timeline or, or whatever. So it, it, yeah, so it remains to be seen, you know, whether this, is, is one, whether it'll even pass, right? I think that's always uh, something to keep in mind because there are a lot of these bills floating around uh, and what final form they pass in, whether they pass in, you know, remains to be seen. But, you know, even if they don't, it, I think it, it creates... It creates a momentum, it creates a conversation, which is not just limited to the US. And I think that's why it's important to monitor these, these things around the world because the way there is this regulation contagion that's happening, right? With these platforms, if, if one country does something, another one wants to follow very quickly, right? So uh, that's one of the reasons why I think we try to track these conversations in, in different countries. But yeah, it's, whether it achieves its objective of solving the societal harms that we're trying to solve, I, I'm, I'm not so sure that it would. Fair enough. I think I think the best possible conclusion for this uh, for us to come up with this is that time will tell because we'll have different countries responding in different ways uh, based on the success or failure of of this legis- legislation and how it's perceived. So hang on tight. I'm sure it's I'm sure that we're in for interesting times. Pratik, have you got any final thoughts? No, no, no nothing to add. All right. So thank you, Joe, for joining us. Thank you, Pratik, for taking us through a lot of literature and um, through the details of this bill. We will see you in the next episode of All Things Policy. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashila.inst or our website takshashila.org.in